There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Political Party. This episode features Naomi Smith, Chief Operating Officer of Best for Britain and co-host of the Romaniacs podcast. And what a time to be talking to Naomi, the day before the march in central London. So depending on when you're listening to this, I should say this episode was recorded on Friday the 22nd of March 2019. And on Saturday the 23rd of March, there's going to be a big march in London How many people are going to be there? Who knows? If you're listening to this afterwards, of course, you'll know the answer. So well done, you. Um, But Naomi is someone I've wanted to have on for a very long time, and he's absolutely brilliant. I met her at the People's Vote Rally in, uh, in the Docklands a few months ago. And uh, I've been desperate to get her on, and it's brilliant to have her on. And it's a, as always, what's great is talking about the work that people do themselves and the organisation that they work for and the decisions that are taken and why they're taken. But she gives so much insight. I love anything to do with polling and focus groups. And she gives some brilliant detail, not just on what Best for Britain are doing, but on the stuff they found out. And that is always... I'm sure some of you will feel the same way, but finding out what people think, where and why is uh, a, a great thrill. So there's some wonderful detail in here, but also about what Best of Britain does specifically and about the different Remain campaigns and why they're different and how they're different and the importance of that uh, and what the organisation does is really interesting beyond just a, a Remain Leave conversation because you don't want to have, you don't want to repeat, we all kind of know where we stand now on, on Leave or Remain. People are changing their minds, of course, on what they think of the deal, but it is interesting to talk about the politics of the politics if you like about why people are doing things in different ways and actually then whether you're leave or remain it's just interesting to get that insight into how campaigns work and Naomi herself is such a positive person that it's impossible not to feel better having spoken to her for an hour or so and as always with these things now they've started running over an hour because I get so engrossed in them but uh, a message of great hope whatever I think wherever you stand in politics it's always there's always something refreshing about talking to people that are positive, particularly when um, it's not their outcome they're getting. You know, Naomi isn't a lever. She's not in the ascendant at the moment. Although I suppose you could argue that remains in the ascendant because of the polling or whatever. But nevertheless, Brexit is meant to be happening sometime soon. Um, so it's always refreshing to talk to people who uh, are on the other side of the argument who, who have some positivities to spread. So uh, enjoy Naomi Smith. Naomi, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. And what a week and what a day to be having you here because obviously it depends when people listen to this, but as we speak today on Friday, the thingy of March, the 22nd of March, (laughs) tomorrow, Saturday the 23rd of March, there's a huge march in March. Uh, The Ides of March. The Ides of March, (laughs) tomorrow in London for... A people's vote, yeah. A, a referendum uh, on the uh, on the final deal. Um, 
So, I mean, this must be a very exciting time for you the day before. First things first, how many people do you think are going to turn out tomorrow? When it comes to Brexit, making predictions is just about the most evil thing you can ask somebody to do, (laughs) as I have learned to my great cost over the last couple of years. Um, Put it this way, the numbers ahead of the march last time, when we got, we think, 700,000 plus on the streets, were not as good as they are now. Wow. So we're pretty hopeful it's going to be massive. I mean, just anecdotally, I know people that went last time and I know that more people that of that I know are going yeah. tomorrow. So we're all, we're all very hopeful for a good turnout. Um, weather looks fine, uh, maybe a bit windy but not wet, so that's good. And the events of the last few days, you know, there, there was particularly some young people were sort of not really believing us that this will be the last march and sort of thinking, oh, well, this thing's Brexternity is going to bleed on forever. <laughs> There'll be another march I can go on. Um, and I think the, the kind of the, the crises of the last few days and... and Theresa May's performance have driven more people to say, actually, now I'm going to pick up my placard and off I go. Yeah, her uh, statement from Downing Street seems to have infuriated the people. Everyone. Well, indeed, yes. <laughs> She's yes. a brilliant advocate for Remain. I mean, really, is. every time she speaks, something good happens. Uh, so let's talk about Remain the X podcast first. Um, whose idea was it? Uh, It was our producer's idea, Andrew. Um, He and Martin got together. uh, They run Big Mouth Productions. um, uh, Podmasters Productions, sorry. Big Mouth was one of their uh, first podcasts that was looking at sort of cultural, music, film, that sort of stuff. Um, And they started up a political podcast because they just wanted a safe space. All this sort of fake balance that was in the broadcasters uh, rule books around, you know, as long as you have a sort of wacky flat earther debating a climate change professor, tick the box of balance, you know, and, and it was the same for Brexit. It was that you would just get some absolutely crazy Brexiteer lunatic from the street and pitted them against a Remain MP, and, and that ticked the, the box of balance. It just felt, no, 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 sod balance. Let's just have a space, safe space for people who think that Brexit is just a dreadful idea where we can come together and talk about it on a weekly basis. So it was a bit of a sort of therapy session when it first started, <laughs> and none of us thought it would be as successful as it's been. Um, and, and it's just sort of taken off, and now we're doing more than one show a week. Wow. We, 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 at the start, we thought, oh, we're going to have enough material for mm-hmm. a weekly podcast. Silly us. They've <laughs> got plenty. <laughs> They're out of date as soon as we recorded them. Just on the point about the media, and, and this is something that is, um, you know, by no means exclusive to the Remain community. Your relationship with the BBC, I mean, do you think the BBC is biased in favour of Brexit? Do you think it's culpable, as you would see it, for leave winning or anything like that? People often assume the BBC is a monolithic organisation. I think it's a series of monoliths within it. So I think when you look at programming, you can see a very clear, you know, progressive approach to the the, the programmes that are being made, the the comedy, um, other shows that definitely have a kind of centre-left vibe to them. When it comes to the news, I think we've all in the Remain community been pretty disappointed with how things have been reported but I don't know that we all necessarily blame the BBC for it as a as much as we blame the fear that they have over the license fee Um, and obviously we've had now a coalition government followed by a conservative government that 
you know have, have have sort of threatened all sorts with with the license fee and i think that is what is refle- it's the fear that gets reflected in in the reporting rather than a kind of corporate decision to be biased against remain because every side now seems to think the bbc is against them you know the mm. the, the, the tories think it's left wing labor think it's uh, pro tory remainers think it's a facilitated leave leavers think it's this bastion of remain britain it's very hard for the bbc which doesn't exist in a vacuum to get it right. I yeah. mean, it, it, I have a lot of sympathy with him because it yeah. must be impossible, particularly in a firestorm like Brexit, when everyone's going to complain because everyone yeah. wants the, the, the day-to-day advantage by the millimetre. They kind of can't win, can they? Uh, well, I mean, I think they, they can try harder in some respects. I mean, some programmes, news programmes, are, are, you know, the presenters show their true colours a little bit more so than others. Uh, but I agree, it's an incredibly difficult situation for them, particularly when they've got this sort of sword of Damocles of the licence fee hanging, being cut, hanging over their heads all the time. So I, I, agree, I broadly agree with you. I, I do feel sorry for them. I don't think there's an easy way out for them. But, you know, today programme could do with a few more strong remain voices on it, put it that way. <laughs> Thankfully, most of the country don't listen to the today programme, so it's fine. I do. <laughs> I think Nick Robinson's my favourite presenter. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more just, I think, that his voice at that time in the morning. Quite reassuring. That's a very good impression. I think it's lovely. And don't you just know that the Prime Minister, come this afternoon, <laughs> might just... I love the way he sets things up. There's just something about first thing in the morning, you think, oh, that is a lovely voice to wake up to. <laughs> Maybe it's just about his voice rather than the content, content. but um, nevertheless. So is there not a danger with, with Romaniacs that because it's a safe space and there is no balance... Um, no, none. That you, ..that you might go too far? That you have to check yourself sometimes and think, well, actually, there might be a positive side to one particular aspect of Brexit, say, for instance, uh, on fishing. Yes, and I hope that we're all pretty uh, self-aware and without too many big blind spots about our own mania. Um, and, <laughs> and, and within our uh, our group, so we've now got a sort of core of about six regular co-hosts and we dive you know we diverge within that um ian dunt who's the editor of politics.co.uk is probably much more sanguine about a kind of norway style option than i am um we've got a mix of journalists uh actors and campaigners like me doing the show so i i think we balance each other out a little bit um and we have started to have a few people on who were leavers and are wow. now sort of slightly regretful. We would never have on a you know hard and fast Brexiter. Largely, we, I mean, we've had this conversation as a sort of an editorial chat amongst ourselves quite a few times, and it's sort of come down to if there was a sensible one that we felt we could genuinely have a reasoned, non sort of boring tit for tat debate with, we'd bring them on. But we've sort of struggled to find one or, or even think of one so the ones that we've had on are people that um and we've only had two i think we've got one more coming on soon who voted leave um and are sort of now either in a kind of norway soft brexit space or even remain and then of course the remainer now gang i don't know if um you've heard of them so this yes. is this excellent group of people from across the whole country who are remorseful either immediately you know some of them are, are people that woke up the next day and thought oh I've done a terrible thing and now I sort of feel guilty when I look <laughs> oh at my God. French colleague. It's like 24 hours in police custody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my <laughs> word. There's one poor lady who, you know, her children um, have special needs and she she just hadn't really understood that that, that the people who look after and care for her children oh, through the man, NHS or man. through, you know, the social care system um, 
would now be at risk and and you know she would have these wonderful people who have helped care for her very ill children saying to her well you do realize i'm 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 you know i may have to leave now oh god so her guilt and so she's now she's got the zeal of a convert like you wouldn't believe because she wants to compensate for for this bad decision so they're they're an amazing group of people and actually the whole uh, remain campaign movement needs to make much more of those kinds of voices i think you're absolutely right and it needs to have Different voices and working class voices, and particularly, I think you're absolutely right, people who voted Leave last time. I mean, in any ele- whatever the election, whatever your views were, the most powerful voices are people who say, I used to support this and I can't yeah. anymore. Yeah. Whether that's people leaving the Labour Party, whether that's people leaving the Tory Party, whether it's Leave or Remain, they're always the ones mm. that you go, oh, wow. Yep. As, as a neutral, you're more likely to listen to those people. Exactly, exactly. So that's interesting. And the Remain and our stuff on Twitter is very, very good. Yeah. Um, so Remainiacs now, isn't there a danger? I mean, what? because it's such a successful and brilliant podcast, what happens once Brexit is delivered? <laughs> if, okay, if, if, it if Brexit be. is delivered. It won't be. I, I, I um, kind of know the answer because Brexit will just roll on forever in many regards. <laughs> But have you discussed this? Have you thought? We have a little bit, yeah. I'm, we've built such an amazing community now, and we're so lucky. Our listeners are lovely, and they're incredibly supportive. And you know, like some of them will DM me on Twitter, and I've never met these people. They just listen to the show, and they'll yeah. say, "Naomi, I reckon it's going to be a stressful day today. So here's a picture of my cat." Or my dog, or you know, and so they're so lovely. So I think we do feel a sense of responsibility to not just abandon this so lovely cats and dogs. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, Larry, Larry's a number ten cat. There's a huge, huge listener. Um, so we have. I think we 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 ha- we've thought about what we would do. We haven't made any sort of firm decisions about it, as you say. Brexternity seems to be, you know, <laughs> oh god, defining uh, an entire generation and, and rumbling on forever. However. I think we would probably morph into some kind of broader based political podcast, but who knows? We, oh, we, we haven't idea. made any decisions yet. Well, there's um, there's plenty of space in the market for... Or food, or we could do a food podcast. Oh, my yeah. word. You can come on and do that. I yeah. would love to do the food um, uh, podcast. I listen to a lot of food podcasts when I can't sleep and I just need to unwind and, yeah. What are the best ones? Um, well, I like I like Jessie Ware's that she does with her mum. That's really good. Daisy's nodding. Um, there's another one called The Hoovering um, where they talk about hoovering up food and, yeah. It's, great. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, food, food podcasts are good. The food programme I listen to as a podcast because I'm never around to listen to it. What is the food programme? Is that a radio it's a, Yeah, it's radio four. Oh, man. Yeah. I had no You're idea this out. world existed out there. Yeah. <laughs> oh man maybe we could do like a sort of political party but like political house party where yeah. just lay on a bit of a spread yeah what food represents your political philosophy and outlook in life you know I'm what? a vegan so I'd go for the whole like climate change we can only stop it if we you know all convert to a lower meat ah, diet yes. and stuff but I suppose being vegan is in itself a kind of political act in a way that That's eating a curry isn't um, well I mean and you know the best vegetarian food in the world is from India and a lot of it is curry based. So, you yeah. know, the Venn diagram overlaps very well there. Is it a political <laughs> act? I don't know. I mean, I think for some people it's um, purely a health thing. So it's a plant based decision yeah. rather than a, a, a you know, a, a moral thing. Yeah. yeah. For others, it's, it's, uh, they're vegan for the animals and it's an ethical decision. For others, it's about the environment. I suppose what um, some vegans would say is eating meat is a political decision. Yeah. I, I'm, I know are. what the problems are with the industry and I'm still prioritising my desire for barbecue chicken over, over the welfare of the poor the beasts. And I do feel bad about it. I start to feel more bad about eating meat recently. A lot of people are just now on a much lower meat diet than they were. Yes, I'm a meat reducer. Yeah, 
which is great. You yeah. know, people say to me, oh, I'd, I could never be vegan because I love bacon sandwiches too much. Yeah. And my response is, great, so carry on eating bacon sandwiches, but just cut out everything else. You're still going to be 99% better than you were before you did that. Interesting that Ed Miliband admitted that on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but you don't need to eat bacon sandwiches all day, do you? No, I guess. exactly. Just have them occasionally as a treat. I barely ever have a bacon sandwich. Yeah, you're getting hungry now. I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just remember realise that may, might make me sound sort of less patriotic. I mean, what will be? The bacon sarnie kind of is the British yeah. breakfast, isn't it? Yeah. What would have... I suppose, the thing is, bacon and stuff like that just doesn't taste as good. No. I mean, it's sometimes useful for people who are transitioning away from eating meat, but people that have not eaten meat for a long time don't really go for a lot of the mock meats and the, the fake meat products anymore. You're better off just... Yeah, some decent mushrooms and tomatoes and all the nice bits and bobs. I don't like mushrooms, that's the problem. Mm. Hash browns, hash browns with tomatoes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe this is what will unite Britain after whatever happens with Brexit. Leavers and Remainers can both agree. Food is good. That food is good. Maybe that's um, something to coalesce (laughs) around in the aftermath. I mean, do you have friends that voted leave? I do. I mean, friends, friends is a, yeah. Are they still friends? Really? Is it that bad? Uh, It's more that, I mean, I've got family members, as most people do, you know, and it hasn't been this, this, you know, one of the worst things about Brexit is how it's divided families and ruined Christmases and... And Sunday lunches the the country over. Equally, um, made Christmas a lot cheaper for some people. <laughs> There's benefits. <laughs> um, I mean, I've got I've, yeah, I've got a, a very close family member who's young actually who voted um, leave. He's in his um, early twenties and I and you know educated and uh, ticks all the boxes of somebody who would demographically be a hundred percent. Wow. Remain, and and that's quite challenging. Um, and obviously, you know, we still love each other and all the rest of it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, might not be getting yeah. quite, you know, the same amount in the will that he was. But, <laughs> <laughs> but is he? Um, what's his? What's his reason then? Oh, it just you know bought into a lot of the nonsense about you know. Rule Britannia will be all right. We've always been all right. Wow. Let's be global. It works in an industry that's very globalised already. Does far more trade with America and. Okay. The Far East than it does with, with Europe. And any wavering since the vote on his part? Um, I think so because he has a lot of friends who are um, British Muslims um, and what we've seen actually at Besser Written through our, our data and, and polling research is that one of the hugest shifts towards Remain since 2016 has been Hindus and Muslims who voted leave in 2016, thinking it would make it much easier for them to bring relatives over from the Indian subcontinent who now realise, oh, all, I, all I've really helped to do is to empower um, a, a government that, that has you know, been linked to the Windrush generation and is yeah. creating a pretty hostile environment. That's amazing that that view was kind of semi-widely yeah, held in it those was, communities. It was. I mean, wow. actually, I, 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 I do need to be clear that Muslims were much more likely to vote Remain than other religious groups yeah. and and Anglicans were much, much more likely to vote Leave. Um, secularists and Muslims were sort of similarly pro-Remain, but Muslims have become even more pro-Remain and Hindus, who I think were slightly more likely to vote Leave, are now much more likely to vote Remain. So overall, Mus- Muslims are more likely to vote Remain than Leave? Or yeah, were they? Yeah, okay. yeah, and always were, but okay. now even more so. Hindus have sort of switched. So they were more leave than remain. Yeah, 
Marginally, I think, yeah, yeah, and, so, and Anglicans and Catholics were 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 very leave and remain so, but that's probably a demographic. So Catholics thing. will remain and okay. No, sorry, Catholics will leave and okay. and Anglicans will leave, but I think that's largely a demographic thing. It's yeah. an age correlator that you know there are many more young people who don't have faith. Yeah, My faith is a sort of thing that's. So do you know? Off, I mean, obviously this, we're going down a sort of half an tangent, but do you know roughly the kind of percentage split in those communities about leave and remain? I can't off the top of my head. Um, we know that. There have been, I think, around three million people who have switched from leave. The, the net switch has been to, in Remain's favour about three million. Um, what we've seen is people entrench more at either end. Yeah. Um, we've seen about three million cross, and of course, what swung it to be a sort of fifty-six percent uh, lead, consistent lead for Remain has been the older people dying and the younger people joining the electorate that couldn't vote in 2016 who are now eligible to vote. In terms of that, that, that lead in, in the polling, why don't you think it's wider? Why isn't Remain or no Brexit not 70... Given that it seems to be such a widely reported catastrophe, why isn't a bigger lead there? Well, we have, as I came into the studio, I sort of checked it and it was about to clock three million signatures on the revoke Article 50 petition, <laughs> yeah. which when you think it only had about 20,000 a couple of days ago is is remarkable. Um, there's, there's lots of reasons. One, we are guilty, you and I, of being in a bubble, yeah. whether we like it or not. And as much as we claim to be, you know, in touch with the people and down with the kids and all the rest of it, we're not. I'm not down with the kids at all. <laughs> if you take, you know, the average... The average voter out there in the country who maybe voted leave uh, because a member of their family was and they sort of went along with it. They didn't have sort of strong convictions either way. Maybe they're a mum of, you know, a couple of kids. They're in between 35 and 55. They don't... 45? Well, you Bang know, in the middle. Hazard a guess. <laughs> um, 2.4 children. <laughs> they don't watch... They don't listen to the Today programme. They yeah. don't read newspapers. They might watch the one show... They will read the supermarket shopper. They'll scan down their Facebook feed, which the algorithm is giving them all the stuff it knows they like, yeah. which isn't politics. They listen to this podcast. Stuff like that. <laughs> stuff like that. Mainstream stuff. It, what, what, what is really stark when we focus group people uh, in those demographic groups and in the, those parts of the country where um, there was a leave vote, it, it, it's quite staggering how many people think we've actually already left. Wow. Um, who think that no deal means staying in. Yes, so many people do think no deal means no Brexit. Because if you're buying a car and you go to the showroom and you try it out and the salesman says, so have we got a deal or no deal? And you say no deal, it means you're going to go home and carry on driving yeah. your old banger. And there's a TV show called Deal or No exactly. Deal. Exactly, which, which these no people de- probably do watch. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watch it. So I, I just think it. there are huge levels of confusion out there. And people have turned off. You know, we've had successive governments, you turning on policies, letting down voters, not delivering what they promised, not building enough homes, not investing in deindustrialized areas. Yes. They, they've stopped listening. And what's really interesting, you know, when we, when we do these focus groups, we don't just test the message, you know, what will work, what, what, what are the messages that these people listen to, and it, it turns them. We also focus group, and who is the best messenger Yes. Because it's all about the messenger. And do you know what? It's never politicians. Yeah. It's very rarely celebrities. And it is much more likely to be somebody that looks or sounds like them. 
So, you know, a community leader, maybe, you know, a faith leader, it might be the most senior GP in the biggest practice. It's those sorts of voices that they will listen to. A football hooligan. What else? Who are the other sort of bastions of British society? So A pub landlord. The the point I'm trying to make is that the the, the messengers of the the bad news are people that voters have stopped listening to a long time ago. That's really interesting. So the focus group. So we, we should say these are focus groups that you're doing in your capacity as yeah, sorry, best for Britain. That's right. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to get the two of you. So you do yeah. remain the actor, and, and then you're also the chief operating officer of, of Best for Britain. That's right. Yeah. Which um, is a kind of lobby group. I mean, how would you describe it? We're a campaign. Um, so if, if without wanting to sort of depress uh, Remain listeners too much, um, if you go back to 2016, everyone had sort of let. Remainers down. So first of all, we lost. Yeah. Then the Remainers abandoned government, and government suddenly became controlled by people who really wanted to see Brexit through. Theresa May goes into the uh, autumn conference at Conservative Party conference and says, "If you're a citizen of the world, you can consider yourself a citizen of nowhere." Yes. So the rhetoric is all is all awful. Uh, they then moved to trigger Article 50, and even some Liberal Democrat MPs abstained on triggering Article 50. So everywhere you looked, your your leaders had abandoned you as, yes. as Remainers. Like who, who's, you know, out there for us and, and, and banging the drum for us? And the official Remain campaign, Britain Stronger in Europe, had rebranded itself Open Britain and had come out for a soft Brexit. So there was sort of nothing. There was nobody. And a, a really brave group of people um, who are the Best of Britain uh, original founding board members got together and they're, they're all from business. They're not from the world of politics. So we don't have any sort of big grandy politicos on our board. Got together and said, well, there's got to be another way. There's got to be a group that represents all those millions of people who voted Remain and the many more who are now regretful and changing their minds. And they got together. And, and that was sort of early um, 2017. And they were just sort of getting going when Theresa May calls a ruddy snap general election. <laughs> and everyone thought, oh, well, it's game over, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's it. She'll get a stonking majority. It'll be hard Brexiteers up and down the land. Yeah. But thankfully, they didn't take their foot off the pedal. And our chief executive, Eloise, said we need to do a tactical vote campaign so that Remainers could put in their postcode and see who is the candidate I should back to stop the hard Brexiteer getting elected. Amazing. And where when we did the analysis, so that dashboard was seen by a million people. Wow. And when we looked at the analysis of where we'd spent money promoting it, the pro European the swing to the pro European candidate was far bigger than wow. in areas where we hadn't. Amazing. So we think we did an enormous amount to help deny Theresa May a majority. What a great and impact. All of a sudden, Brexit's back in play. Yeah. Like you know, the remainers are like, oh, sh- you know, maybe we can do yeah. this. This is back again. So I didn't ask if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. Oh, of course you can, yeah. Okay, good. Oh, swear your head <laughs> off, by all means. Um, so all of a sudden, you were you, it, it was a game on again, and we could start campaigning for real with, with you know, it was still um, uh, unlikely, but it was now possible. You know, there was, there was hope back again. Uh, and, and we swung into action. And uh, everything that we've done since then, I think, has really helped. You know, we... we absolutely back Dominic Grieve to make sure that the Commons could get a meaningful vote. And one of the really key things I'm very proud that the organisation did, um, and again, you know, uh, uh, all credit to our Chief Exec Eloise who, who drove a lot of this, was we were one of the organisations that, that first backed the project to get Labour parties up and down the country 
uh, constituency Labour parties to pass motions saying that they wanted a people's vote, they yes. wanted a final say. So when you then fast forward to September 2018, when the Labour Party have their conference up in Liverpool, of course Keir Starmer played an absolute blinder at that conference to get their policy moved to, to, to what it is. But he went armed with over 100 CLP motions calling for the thing that, that he was then going to press for. Yes. So I think all the way through, we've, we've, we've done everything we can to shift the tide ever, ever closer in our favour. And, uh, and then obviously the leader of the opposition, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, uh, publicly changing the position a few weeks ago. Uh, couldn't have been possible if the Labour Party conference hadn't passed that motion. That wouldn't have probably been possible if the CLPs hadn't been passing that motion. And they wouldn't have had the appetite to do that if Theresa May had romped home with a massive majority. Yes. So I think we've, we've we've played a really good game in getting us to where we are. And everyone keeps saying, oh, we're in the final straights now, isn't it? And then it bleeds on and on and on and on. But it sort of does feel like, like obviously, with, with the original Article 50 deadline expiring next week, that maybe this is the moment. That it's still all in play. So in terms of the work that Best of Britain does, when you're doing focus groups, what are they for and to what end? They are for informing how we speak to the country. But around specific campaigns or are you just running these things yep, all the time? Yep, or? so um, when we f- f- rewind 18 months, it was very interesting how what wasn't working was any of the bullish language that is now really working. Okay, so for instance... So, for instance, now everyone's getting excited about just revoke Article 50, just stop it, let's call the whole thing off. Whereas 18 months ago, it was... This thing's been going on for 500 days or 600 days, whatever it was then, and we still don't know what it is that we voted for. She still hadn't got any kind of deal. So the messaging that was working was, when will we know what we voted for? Okay. And anything harder than that turned people off. Just out of a sense of fairness... Um, out of a sense of what, what, so to being really boring and geeky, the the, the method good. we use with polling is called multi-level regression and post-stratification analysis. Amazing! I love stuff like this. I will call it MRP from now. Oh, on. lovely, lovely! <laughs> so that I don't trip up over myself. <laughs> what this is is you take a massive poll. Yeah, of how many people? Roughly ten. So 000? yeah, at least at least ten thousand. Yeah. Sometimes it's twenty thousand. But what you then do is you add in enormous data sets on top of that. So data from ONS, uh, Office of National Statistics, from the British Electoral Studies Survey, from the census. And what you end up with is uh, about 90,000 rows of data. Wow. And you run an algorithm over that. And what it'll do is say that if you are a woman with two degrees who lives in Camden and is in her 30s, the chances of her being pro-Remain are 88%. Wow. And then you do the stratification bit of it and you go, and how many people who look like her live in that constituency? Okay. So you can then build up a very accurate um, prediction of how many people are Remainers or Leavers within a, a set area. And this is important because MPs don't listen to national polls. Yes. MPs will say, ah, oh, yes, I'm sure that there has been a swing towards Remain across the country, but in my backyard, in my constituency surgeries, what I'm hearing on the streets is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you can take them at, well, actually, we've, we've run MRP in your constituency. And by the way, MRP is the only model that correctly predicted Trump, correctly 
uh, predicted the midterms last year wow. and correctly predicted the outcome of the snap general election in 2017. Amazing. So it, it's the only one that's really working at the moment. Um, then they then they take notice. And obviously what we're in the game of doing is lobbying MPs because even now this rests in Parliament. The decision yeah. around Brexit isn't with us. We haven't got the referendum yet. It's not about convincing people. So through the MRP, what we were able to do is to map the entire country to see exactly which constituencies had shifted by how many amounts. Interestingly, no constituencies had shifted towards leave. All of them had shifted towards remain. Yeah. There had been a tiny swing towards leave in some conservative uh, seats, but it, it was minuscule, it was sort of 2-3%. Yeah. And that was conservative voters who do what the... The, the conservative leader of the day tells them to do. So in 2016, they all voted Remain because Cameron was telling them to. Now they're, they're leavers because Theresa May is saying we should leave the EU. Okay. But broadly, everything was shifting towards Remain. And we were able to identify at a postcode level where everybody was. So we could find the million most persuadable voters in the country because we knew there was no time, spend, there's no point spending our precious yes. resources on trying to convince hard Brexiters of our position. They were just probably never going to be won over and they were only entrenching more. And similarly, no point in wasting money on people like Matt Ford and Naomi Smith because, you know, they're they're up the other end. So it was, you know, let's let's put our energy into the one million most persuadable people in the country. And we knew where they lived. I mean, not, you know, door to door. (laughs) I was going to say. It's not spooky. We're not Cambridge Analytica. It's like a gangster. But but we had sort of, you know, the the, the broad sort of polling districts where that's probably quite a good place for self-leavers who are open to listening to a message. So then the the focus groups, okay, okay, let's let's focus group people in those communities and and what is it that's working for them? Yeah. And, you know, you won't be surprised to know that it's got to always be pretty tailored. It's got to be hyper-local. Yeah. Um, they They will react to X... A&E, you know, insert name of their local A&E, at risk of closure because the EU has actually been funding it, you know, to the tune of £8 billion over the last two decades and it's received precious little from NHS England or or, or whatever it is. So um, those sorts of messages work so well with people and that's what we were finding out from our focus groups. That's amazing. It reminds me a bit of a a, a bit of um, kit the Labour Party used to use called Mosaic. Mm Mm-hmm where if we didn't have the contacts in a particular seat to yep. target our vote, you could buy this stuff from Experian, mm-hmm. and it basically tells you a statistical likelihood of where yep. you know likely yep. Labour voters were. But this sounds, this sounds far more detailed, the stuff you've got. Yeah, I mean, don't knock Mosaic. You know, it's great. It'll tell you which chocolate bars people eat on a certain street. And, yeah, you know, that's right. It's, it's amazing. Ama- it is amazing. Um, this is just very useful for us in terms of... Uh, being able to have the, the, the sort of the one-to-one conversations with the MPs, but really importantly, when we're lobbying Labour, what it lets you do is say to them, right, OK, not only are Labour voters in this constituency very pro-Remain, the Labour leavers are so tribally Labour they're never going to abandon you, even if you switch to yeah. being out and out for a minute. So you've literally got nothing to lose by changing your position and, and advocating for Remain. And they love dairy milk. <laughs> the most important bit. But also we were able That's to That's a really powerful thing to find yeah, out. It is. And also it held true for their target seats because Labour's not in control of the government at the moment. So it, it doesn't just need to hang on to its seats. It 
probably needs to win a good 100 more. Yeah. So when we looked at their top 100 targets as well, again, the same thing held true. It was Labour, if you want power, you've got to be the party of Remain. Wow, because the logic often espoused by people close to the leadership, not always by the leadership themselves, Indeed. Um, is that actually, well, we're trying to hold this coalition together. A lot of Labour people voted leave, and it would be a betrayal of them, let alone democracy, yep. in inverted commas, to either support a second referendum or, or try and frustrate Brexit. But what you're saying is actually the data suggests they'd be far better off yeah. back in Remain. And, w- and when we look at the 2016 referendum, that's where Remain failed. We always yes. knew that people who were pro-EU were much more likely to be centre-left. Yes. But yet the message was coming from a Conservative Prime Minister, and it just wasn't credible with the kinds of people we needed yeah. to turn out and get out on the day to vote for Remain. Partly because... <coughs> Jeremy Corbyn wouldn't share a platform Indeed. with the leader of the Conservative Party, and that well, was harder well, to... Well, a minute last, on Thursday or Wednesday night. Well, that's right. I mean, <laughs> is, is there a best-for-Britain corporate view of, um, of Jeremy Corbyn not staying in that meeting? We... No, there isn't. We are a cross-party, you know, uh, we don't align ourselves to any one party at all. Like all of the campaigns, we're, we are very, very cross-party. We fund... Um, uh, lots of the other campaigns within the movement um, and we work very closely with an organisation called Right to Vote which is uh, a group of conservative pro-Europeans um, and also people on the left of the Labour Party Another Europe is Possible who um, sort of represent the love socialism, hate Brexit sentiment Ah yes, I've seen lo- those yeah. pictures around Yeah, so, the, so these are the, t- the people that, that went out and campaigned for Jeremy Corbyn's leadership twice um, and are part of the rent quake as or the youth quake that, that is attributed to his success that you know they're, they're, they're part of that generation that um, feels very let down by coalition and conservatives and and even slightly new labor although some of them don't quite remember it um, <laughs> <That's fair laughs> uh, and, and believe in Corbynism on everything other than his his international outlook. Uh, Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So when when you're funding these groups like Love Socialism Mm -hmm. and Hate Brexit, does that money come with strings attached? You say this money has to be spent on, you know, posters or campaigns of a particular type or no? um, They are they are you know donations um, straight up. We we wouldn't ever feel uh, that we were so arrogant as to. And, and actually, that's a very, very good point, Matt, because when we when we think about what I think Britain Stronger in Europe did wrong was to do too much centralised command and control. And where Leave did very, very well was to let a thousand flowers bloom. And what that 
allowed them to do is to say, well, Leave.eu can do the xenophobic frothing at the mouth stuff for the audience of UKIPers and, you know, National Front people that, that works with them and Vote Leave can do the the more sort of traditional conservative Respectful. values. Exactly. Um, whereas Britain Stronger in Europe, uh, you know, sort of was, was a bit of a mono brand and it was trying to control a lot of what all of the sort of sub brands and subgroups are doing. And at, at Best of Britain, we're incredibly mindful not to do that. When you're trying to and it's, and it's what we talked about in terms of messenger with voters. It's the same with, with politicians. If we're trying to uh, persuade the leadership of uh, the Labour Party to do something, we've got to be very mindful of the fact that we, as a Remain campaign, are quite possibly the worst people <laughs> to try and put that pressure yes. on them. But far better if we are to let that message come from trade unions, from love socialism, hate Brexit from the kinds of people that can persuade them. Um, so, so absolutely, you know, sort of, uh, you know, happy to to share what we think is, you know, a powerful way of doing it. But, but, but we think that they're best place to know how to persuade, and so off, off they go and do it, and they do it very well. So, if that's a really good point about leave EU. So, let's say there is a another referendum on the deal or a second, however you describe it, a people's vote. Would you then try and become the official campaign, or would you say? Let people's vote be the official campaign and we'll kind of do the, the leave.eu thing and, and make that strategic decision together and say, actually, either Best for Britain or someone else has to do a kind of street version of a campaign. Excellent question. And, you know, one I'm sure that other people have uh, thought about and would love to know the answer to. I can honestly say that at the moment all we've been doing is trying to win the right to have a final say referendum. Yes. And not a huge amount of thought has been given to to what and who and how. We've got some amazing people working on all of the campaigns, and I'm sure all of those people um, will want to be involved in whichever campaign is designated. But there is a growing um, acceptance amongst all of us that it has to be incredibly different from last time. And that's the overriding driver at the moment, that it cannot be a Westminster bubble, you know, led by bland centrists that don't appeal to the exact kinds of people we need to win over so personally I'd love to see it be a campaign as you you know you said yourself on this show already uh, people with working class accents people with non-southeast accents wouldn't it be amazing if the entire campaign wasn't even based in Westminster and was based out of Sunderland or you know the car park of the Nissan plant yeah. you know it's, it's, or Manchester exactly exactly you can have a bit more fun in Manchester uh, yeah a bit yeah yeah <laughs> no yeah. offence to Sunderland but if you're going to be <laughs> Not based quite as cold if you're going to be based if you're going to be based somewhere <laughs> out of London Manchester Glasgow yeah, Liverpool exactly, Leeds exactly so I think I, I don't know whether all of the campaigns will kind of um uh, collapse and a new one will will reemerge, or whether one will go for full designation. But I think we all agree that the the mono brand approach doesn't work. We need to let a thousand flowers bloom. Have lots and lots of smaller campaigns speaking to the kinds of people that they can reach in the areas that they can reach, and that it has to look and feel so different from the last one. See, this is what's so fascinating. Is um, it's going to sound like a name drop, but I've had a lot of you know interesting people on this show when William Hague was on. Of course, probably over a year <laughs> ago now. Brag. <laughs> he, um, he, the phrase that really stuck with me, we were talking about a general election, the possibility of a Corbyn government, and it's a great phrase that, well, you never get to fight the same campaign twice. <laughs> and it would be the same with the referendum. Is Whatever the polling is now, 
Yeah. The, the next reference, if there is another one, and I actually think there will be one eventually, even if it's to rejoin. It might be in 20 years. But it will be a different... Th- mm. If for no other reason, on the Remain campaign, you're absolutely right, it's not going to be run by David Cameron in Downing Street anymore. No. It's not going to be running the interest of the Tory party. So it is going to be, and I would hope... I would never want to be on the side of you know a Leave.eu style campaign in terms of the things that they said. But nevertheless, you need whatever the Remain version of that is without it being, you know, frankly, politically incorrect. Yeah. That is needed, and we didn't have that last time. We didn't. We didn't. And um, we. <sighs> the other thing that we'll have this time is that, it, and that's not if it's in twenty years' time, but if it's within you know the next year or so, the Remainers will not be defending the status quo. Yes. And that that is the the big difference from last time is that we'll be the challenger brand. Yes. We'll be the Pepsi to their Coke, um, trying to 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 sort of look and appear uh, much you know. Um, less establishment and uh, modern and fresh and progressive. And um, I think that's why it's been so important to have really prominent voices from people like Caroline Lucas, who before, you know, Brexit really wasn't given any kind of airtime at all, tiny, tiny party, um, but has been wonderful. And I think she actually coined the phrase people's vote. It was it was her who came up with it. Oh, wow. Um, She's which... Tim Berners-Lee yes. of the... Um... <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, of the movement, wow! Yeah. And no one could accuse her of being establishment. No, I mean, you know, you know, oddly in a way, obviously the establishment means different things to different people. She's a well-spoken, yeah. you know, southern accent. You know, yeah, in a way, yeah. she kind of, you know, years before the referendum, I kind of understood why Nigel Farage, despite his educational background, wealth, and you know, career as a trader, I understood why he wasn't establishment in the sense that mm. he was going against the grain. Yeah. And there's an accepted way of doing politics and he stood against that, better or worse. And I kind of think, much as I have a huge amount of respect for Caroline Lucas, when you're talking about people that will bring people over, even though she's green, yeah. you know, if you're sat there watching the 10 o'clock yeah, she, news she's unlikely to persuade a Nissan worker in Sunderland. Yeah. But yeah. then she, you know, yeah. everyone plays their own different, exactly. and that, I suppose yeah. that's yeah. the point we're yeah. saying is yeah. you need tailored campaigns to all these different people. You exactly. need perhaps different organisations to bring those um, to bring those. Um, yeah, and I think our lack of on. sort of single figurehead has actually worked to our advantage. So then, in terms of so you fund other things. In terms of where you get your money from, obviously there was a, a highly publicised donation from George Soros, mm-hmm. uh, four hundred grand uh, that was reported in the Telegraph a while back. When he, it's great when they do that. Well, in a way, it must be good publicity, it is, surely. It is. It's like literally every time the Mail or the Telegraph have a pop at us on the front page, our crowdfunder goes goes mad because every, you know we get all these £5 donations from people who are incensed that the right-wing media are, are sort of trying to close down on open society. And also, I also kind of think, whether it's left, right, leave, remain or whatever, if there's a campaign that's being funded by someone who's really successful, I think other people go, oh, it must be quite good then. <laughs> like, it's almost a kite mark yeah. in a weird way. And obviously... Narratives about the establishment aside, I think most people probably don't buy into a kind of mm. establishment narrative on the whole. It, it, you know, they might not frame it like that. Mm. So actually, I think a lot of people go, you know, for argument's sake, if Richard Branson gave money, yeah. you go, well, actually, you know, he seems to know what he's doing. And if you're listening, Richard, yeah. yes, do fund this <laughs> podcast first. Then Romaniacs, then Romaniacs, then people's right, then whatever else. Um, so when, the, but when people like George Soros give money, because obviously when you're crowdfunding, that's people just saying, I, almost like a party membership it's yeah. like, or a charity donation, they're like, just do what you will with it. Mm. 
when people like that give money when it's a high value donor mm. do they say I want that spending on polling or does it ever come with strings attached um, I know that in some of the other campaigns so there was um, quite a highly publicised donation to the People's Vote campaign from the guy that runs that founded Superdry um, and he gave a million to them um, and I, I as I understand it he was like I've built my brand on market research and just going back to customers all the time and testing what works for them so I really want this to be used for polling Okay. so uh, I know that some donors do. Um, in Best of Britain, no. Um, we will uh, do a pitch. So we'll, we'll we'll meet with donors and we'll do a pitch to them and that'll probably be in a, a group setting um, and say, this is what we're doing. And if you want to fund it, please yeah. do. But but no, we don't. They, they tend to trust us. And I think that's what's nice about our work is that we don't have any political masters on our board. So we haven't got anyone who is, you know, wanting to seize control of the Labour Party or has any other kind of vested interest, all they want to do is is, is support our mission and our, our stated mission is to stop Brexit by any democratic means. And they usually leave us as the sort of campaign experts up to the, the detail of, of how that's done. And that's not to say that they don't have ideas and and they do. And, you know, there is some... What, what is, <laughs> so sometimes donors will be like, well, I haven't seen much from you. I know I gave you a bit of a donation. I haven't haven't seen much. It's like, yes, but you should... If you were seeing it, we'd be doing something wrong because you're liberal metropolitan Romaniac elite who lives in London. Oh, that's a, that's and, a great and argument. And if, if you were seeing the work that we were doing, we, we would be, you know, doing something wrong because actually you, you're not the one we're trying to persuade. But also, what a great way of getting out yeah. of it. That's amazing. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. If you see it, then we're rubbish, yeah. Yeah, we didn't just go out for lunch, yeah. We spend it all on booze and fags. Oh, that's amazing. That's, um, so in terms of, because um, there was tension between Leave EU and, and Vote Leave, how real that tension, you know, who yeah. knows, depending on what book you read. Is there tension within the Remain community, or is it a fairly harmonious? Oh, it's definitely fairly harmonious. I mean, you know, it's... It's constant contact. It's daily, hourly, you know, lots of exchanging of, you know, where we think things are at and uh, which MPs we think are coming over to our side, et cetera, et cetera. And everyone is campaigning for a final say. We're all rowing in that direction. Um, That's exactly what we want. You know, revoking Article 50 is the ends, but the means to getting that are, are, you know, many and varied general election MPs deciding to do it themselves, you know, no no deal, cliff edge, sort of prompting them into doing that, or or a people's vote, um, and of course sometimes there are tensions between the exact tactical yeah. decision. You know, over the march, for instance, it was you know, is the twenty third of March too late? And the, you know, oh, there was wow. a bit of a no, no, it should have been earlier. We should have mobilised sooner. And other people saying, no, 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 look it takes quite a long time to actually get permissions from the police and TFL and, and all of that. And, you know, this is the right time a week before the original. So, you know, there will, there will be um, constructive challenges yeah. to each other over decisions, but but it's absolutely harmonious, yeah. I mean, if people think organising a stag or hen do is stressful, that, that sounds even worse. No, I can't do the 23rd. I'm, <laughs> exactly. I'm away on the 23rd. Um, my word. So then this, because there are so many, I mean, the, the people's vote, uh, amalgamated, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah the people's yeah. vote, and then the official people's vote, yeah. branded people's vote thing, was Open Britain and, and other right, yeah. and other groups yeah, have yeah. sort of come together under that banner. Why did you not go in with them? And do you think it's been of benefit to keep yourself slightly to the side? Definitely benefit. Um, why we decided not to was for largely the reasons that I've already sort of talked about. I think it's useful to have 
separate groups doing and saying separate yes. things um and and uh, you know the 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 people's vote banner so within that you've got the european movement you've got um scientists for eu you've got um some of the groups that we've uh actually set up and funded like oh fuck the our future our choice um you know it's so a group that <laughs> you know what <laughs> don't i've don't. only just realized <laughs> that that's Seriously? oh fuck oh my god <laughs> i'm sorry oh ofoc <laughs> no i feel stupid Oh, oh man, you're or, kidding me. Or just old. Maybe. <laughs> but I've got a fairly silly, dirty sense of humour, so I'm surprised it hasn't. And I love a pun. And then you've got FFS, the For Our Future Sake. Yes. Yeah, that's what, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, man. And, and <sighs> yeah, so they, they um, share office space. Uh, and we, we don't. We're sort of down the road somewhere else. Um, and we've just been much sort of freer to pursue uh, this kind of hyper local hyper targeted thing outside of the country outside of the Westminster bubble so you know the majority of our resource has gone into things outside of London okay so you're not duplicating work absolutely not that has been the key thing that's really good so there is um a bit of a you know you're you're lot are great at talking to this section of MPs so we won't bother yes. with them we'll maybe go off and talk to these other ones over here but but more importantly it's been for us about getting the country to change its mind or to let its MPs know it's changed its mind because we know that they've changed their mind it's yeah. just these aren't the sorts of people that would typically write to their MP and let them know about it so we've sort of done that hyper local hyper targeted thing outside the country so then oh fuck I can't everyone else is going to not <laughs> but uh, our future our choice and for our future's sake they're two Seem to be youth-based movements. Correct. Yeah. What? Why aren't they just one thing, or do they I do mean, two distinctive things? I think broadly they they are, and they do yeah. a lot of sort of joint work, joint press releases, etc. Yeah. So OFUC is. <laughs> I can't believe you. <laughs> Keep saying it, please. Uh, they've got, um, uh, you know, they do a lot of work in schools. Um, they do a lot of work uh, speaking to sixth formers. Um, and FFS have been more rooted in National Union of Students and doing oh, campus-based activities. Okay, so, it's so just there's a, been an a age. little, yeah, yeah. I mean, not entirely because obviously Femi is probably older than all of them. Um, probably older than me, isn't he? Forty odd. He's not nudging thirty. Yeah, nudging thirty. <laughs> but he's very good actually at convincing older people. So the other thing that OFUC have done very well <laughs> has been the um, sorry, That's all right. the uh, the persuasion of okay, you might vote leave or have voted leave but you're not the one that's going to have to live with the consequences of it it's us that's going to so for us would you vote remain and that had that was a persuasive argument in 2016 and it it needs to be an even more persuasive one if we get another reference because that's one of the messages i know fuck are very good at doing that's one of the messages that i that i struggle with a bit is this idea that older people have screwed young people over and i just think older people have been around longer than us They've, you know, seen the country in very different different circumstances. We were all brought up, hopefully, to respect our elders. And I do worry a bit that on the Remain side, myself included, we've become a little bit disrespectful towards our elders over the, over the referendum. And saying that they won't have to live with it, a lot of them will. A lot of over 65s will still have another 25, 30 years left. Yeah. So I, I just worry that it's a bit unfair on the elderly. Yeah, and remember, they are... Um a huge group yeah 
because they're baby boomers. So by definition, there are a hell of a lot more of them. Yeah. And it's not all old people. Yes. You know, there were a, n- a very large number of Remainers and you only need to look at, you know, the pictures of some of the previous marches to see how grey-haired they are. Yeah. Um, you know, so absolutely right. We must and lots not... lots of really old people voted Remain. Yeah. I think the over 85s were Remain. The war. It's heartbreaking. So then I do worry about that. I do think, oh, I hope we're not going to just start slagging old people off. And we've got this wonderful person who fought in World War Two marching uh, tomorrow, 96, oh, has come up from Devon, I think, or somewhere to, wow. to march. Well, maybe be wheeled, but amazing that they're there. <laughs> but to be present exactly. in some capacity. Yeah, no. But you're right, you're right. You know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't pit generations against one another at all. Um, but... If it's useful and powerful for young people to be speaking to their parents, grandparents, etc., and saying, please don't take away my ability to work in 27 other countries just because, you know, yeah. you, you're worried about... You hate the French. ...them coming in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop being so bloody racist. <laughs> I'm joking, of course, for our, uh, for our Leave listeners, but... Um, I suppose the crucial thing is as long as the tone is respectful, then it's okay to deliver the message. It's okay for grandchildren and for for children to say to their elders, please change your mind, as it would be on the other side of the debate and with any generation or gender or whatever. Um, Unless they're one of these awful, minute group of people that have been polled that that when you ask them, uh, do you change your vote if you or a member of your family will lose their job has got no... No, and they, you know they're, they're, wow. that they're the real, you know, hard. It's, and it's how, like, as a proportion of the population, do you have any very idea? Very small, very small, but a percent, know. less than a percent. I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> Crikey! I mean, I suppose the thing is, well, it must. One of the great things about the role you've got and the time you've got the the organisation you're in is you must be finding out so much, not just about Brexit, but about the British people and the psyche of it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A great exercise in the psychology of the country. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, it's interesting because it does make you evaluate the places you go to in a totally different way. My parents live up in North Yorkshire. Which bit? You know, just north of York. It's Hambledon District. Um, <laughs> no one's ever heard of it. Um, <laughs> and you go up there and, you know, I used to sort of love going to the pub. Now, you know, I sort of sit there looking around me going, oh, you're all the wealthy lot that voted leave. You know, these aren't the left behinds. Yes. These are the wealthy York Harrogate Leeds Triangle. Betsy's tea uh, room. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're all driving their cash guys and, you know, having their lovely holidays. and Putting the cash into cash guys. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there was... Um, uh, so I grew up in Northern Ireland. Oh, wow. And uh, and so sometimes on Romaniacs, they make me do an impression of Eileen Foster, which I won't do now, but I will <laughs> do it. Um, but somebody said, oh, wouldn't it have been funny if um, when, when Nissan said that they, were, they weren't going to make the X-Trail in, uh, in Nissan anymore because of uh, Brexit, you can imagine the phone call between Theresa and Arlene, where Theresa calls up Arlene and says, uh, don't worry, um, even though they're not going to, you know, do the X-Trail anymore, they are going to still produce the Kashkai, to which Eileen Foster says to her, well, don't you worry, Theresa, I've always thought of Brexit as being a Kashkai. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a brilliant joke and a great impression. You're welcome. I can do the rest of the show in my Belfast accent if you'd like me to. I, I, you know what? It's brilliant. Have you got so you, your family are from Northern Ireland? No, well, I mean generations back, yes. Uh, but when we were nine, we moved there. When I was nine, we moved there because of my dad's job, and so I did my sort of secondary schooling there. And so my formative years were 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 built there. And I think it's what politicised me because yes. you cannot grow up in Northern Ireland in the height of the troubles in the nineties 
and not have been politicised. You know, everyone is there anyway, you know, regardless of, of when they lived there. But um, I came of age just after the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah. So I couldn't vote in it. But I was seeing it all happening. I was studying A-level politics at the time. We had, you know, Clinton there. You know, Blair was there. Mm. Senator George Mitchell was there. You know, the eyes of the world were, were on this place. The eyes of the um, world and the hand of history. Yeah, both at yeah, the same time. Yeah, yes, indeed. <laughs> did, he, did he mention that when he came on your show? Um, I think, I, I can't remember. What, I'm sure I've asked him about it before, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that sort of made me... It, it politicised me because it made me think how important proportional representation is because here you had you know a minority community of uh catholics who were not you know enfranchised in in the same way yes um and not represent and single transferable vote which is the sort of purest form of pr was a precursor to get, getting the agreement through um but also it it, it just showed me what internationalism could do and how yeah. important it was and and how you know we rely on each other around the world to support humans whichever disenfranchised marginalized community they're in and how important you know global leaders were in fostering peace in northern ireland and we did not make anywhere near enough of that as an issue during the referendum and and how sacred peace is there uh to keeping the union together to um you know ending and stop me keeping an end to the violence that absolutely, you know, trashed Northern Ireland for 40 years. And something that you grew up and and, and, and saw yourself. Um, I mean, do you think next time Northern Ireland will be a bigger issue if there's another referendum? And just in terms of, it's interesting you say about keeping the union together because obviously the SNP are a big part of this mm-hmm, conversation mm-hmm. and they don't want to keep the union yep. together. How hard is it to keep that relationship when they're such a yeah. vital part of the conversation, obviously specifically in Scotland? Well, it's very interesting. When you when you look at the independent group, the TIG, yeah. uh, TIGers, they are all English MPs. I mean, as in they are all MPs who represent yeah. English constituencies. And when we think about what's happened over the last 20 years, devolution has stalled in England. Yes. We've had devolved powers to the Scottish Parliament, to the Northern Irish Assembly, to the Welsh Assembly... And then we had this failed referendum for the North East. And it failed because it was toothless, because it was just going to be another layer of bureaucracy and who would vote for more bureaucracy. It didn't give it any tangible power. So voters in England have suffered much more centralisation of power over the last 20 years than other places in the UK. So we have a constitutional crisis. Brexit is because of the constitutional crisis and will further exacerbate the constitutional yes. crisis that we've got. And we've seen support for independence skyrocket in, in Scotland since Brexit. Um, and we've seen the shift towards Remain become much faster in Northern Ireland than it has been in other parts of the UK because there is this very tangible thing called the Irish border that people can point to and say, that is what Brexit means. Whereas yes. the rest of us are going, but what does it actually mean? What, what, but what will it mean for food prices? Yeah. What will it mean for my ability to go to the Costa del Sol on holiday and stuff like that? And all of that sort of still largely unknown. Um, so we have to have a constitutional convention. We have to address that. And I just don't see how we rebuild the country at all without having some kind of regional assemblies for England. I think England is in and of itself too big to have a single parliament. Yeah. But I do think we need to give proper devolved powers. I mean, why should... So, for instance, um, Leeds wanted to build a tramway yeah. in the early noughties. And 
infrastructure investment outside of the southeast has been woeful. I mean, it's not even been good enough in the southeast, but it's sure as shit been terrible in the rest of the country uh, and, and, and lacking completely. Um, and the Leeds tramway system was eventually kiboshed, I believe, by Alistair Darling as Transport Secretary in Whitehall. Now, why a system that would begin and end within the geographical yeah. sphere of Leeds should should be, you know, the final decision should rest with somebody 200 miles south in Westminster is bonkers and just helps to drive that feeling of total disempowerment of people. And then you, you put a question to them that's a straight up yes or no in 2016. And of course, they give a a kickback against yes. against the government because we've done nothing to to offer people a sense of power over their own lives and their own destinies. So if the city of Leeds wants to know how to do uh, new transport infrastructure, look no further than the Nottingham Tram, which are highly successful. I have to plug Nottingham on here. Yeah. It's part of the Get old part of the deal of being from there. But the Nottingham Tram is a great example yeah. of uh, you know at extra London. Um, uh, transport yeah, uh, reform. Yeah. Why don't we have Crossrail of the North? Why can't you get from Hull to Manchester in, a big in tunnel. an hour? Yeah, <laughs> tunnels are cool. Aren't they? They're a big bridge. Underground roads. Yeah. Well, there's the um, there's the. I'm sure Boris wasn't the first one to think of it. A bridge between uh, the UK and France. Nicola Sturgeon and Arlene Foster seem broadly keen on a on a Northern mm-hmm. Irish to Scotland bridge. Giant's Causeway. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'd be up for it. I mean, anything like that, anything Just, that involves I'm, building stuff. I'm a I'm massive fan of infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. tunnels, bridges, well, build stuff. And, and go and listeners, go and look on YouTube for um, the moment that England and France broke through the Eurotunnel. Oh, it's brilliant! You know what? I watched that the other night. It makes you. It makes me. Weak. It's phenomenal. It's I, brilliant, isn't it? I want anything about Crossrail, yeah. Eurotunnel, oh, anything about when they're building stuff, particularly in. Uh, weird or tight I mean Crossrail is I know we're talking about how it has to be about out of London but Crossrail is incredible yes. how with, with minimum disruption they've tunnelled mm. across a city like that mm. but the channel tunnel stuff's even more yeah, amazing yeah it's so emotive and, and when the when the English um, engineer is sort of broken through and then he turns to the cameras I assume it's BBC and they, they say to him you know how was that and he went well we're connected now aren't we and that'll be it. We'll only ever get ever more connected. And I can't watch it without oh. tears streaming down my little cheeks. I just tingled all over them. I know, them. I know. Oh, man, that's... I mean, that is the... You know, there's the emotional side of Brexit that I think... I wonder if it would be prudent to have it as part of the campaign. But I... I it felt like the vote leave... You know, the leave side was very emotional. And the, and the remain side was kind of was kind of grudging. Well, it's just better for us, OK? You know, kind of a technical argument. Mm. Whereas I know you can't get the European flag out, really. It wouldn't... It's not going to win people Well, that's why perhaps. we call ourselves Best for Britain. Yes. And we have the Union Jack as part of our, our logo because we have to reclaim that from... You know, we are patriots. And it's the patriotic thing to do to keep our economy buoyant and keep jobs going and, you know, all, all the wonderful things that, that, that we've got and build on them. But is, would you, do you think there should be a more emotional element? Absolutely, absolutely. And what Completely. would it be? Would it be stuff like that? Would it, would it be emotional about being European, or would it be emotional about being British? Um, everything, because different messages work for different people. I think we need uh, politicians who are uh, ballsy enough to stand up and talk about the benefits of immigration. Yes, um, and that we talked about Remainer now at the top of the show, and they've did a lovely, lovely video um, where they're putting their arms around people, and it's a British person with their arm around somebody saying, you know, this is Marie, and she's my wife. She's the mother of my children and the mother and the grandmother of my grandchildren. And then somebody else is like, this is George. He's from Athens. 
he saved my dad's life last year. You know, and, oh, and it's wow. just these wonderful emotional stories about the, 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 the great impact that migrants have had on British society, on British culture. Um, and I think we need to have uh, more of uh, the, the, the one sort of party political broadcast that was very good in 2016 was Gordon Brown walking through the, the ruins of Coventry Cathedral yes. talking about the war. Um, and, and you know, this is what does annoy me about Jeremy Corbyn is that he's a pacifist and the EU is the greatest peace project in human history. It has kept peace on the continent of Europe for 70 years. And the thought that that, it, that, that isn't its supreme role, and, and again, not, peace wasn't talked up enough at all during the referendum. Totally agree. And that's a lovely emotional topic as well. Oh man, this is getting uh, heartstrings, but that's what you need. You need that kind of soaring view of what the British national interest is, a kind of progressive patriotism for people who love their country but don't want to associate with certain elements of what patriotism often involves. Um, On the Best of Britain website, it says a people's vote must be held before March 29th, 2019, to decide our country's future. Okay, thanks. I'll update that when I'm back to the office. We've got, as of today, (laughs) seven days... Um, <laughs> how likely is that call to be heeded? <laughs> We're not going to have a reverend before the judge much, uh, but we may well get the right to get one. So next week, it's all eyes on um, meaningful vote three. We'll know probably by the time this show actually goes out if that's going ahead and which day it's going to go ahead on. Um, and if it goes ahead, it's all eyes on something called the Kyle Wilson Amendment. So this is Peter, Kyle and Phil Wilson who are bringing an amendment to the meaningful vote to say, we'll back you if you put it back to the people for ratification. Amazing. So by the 29th of March, we may well have won the right to have a referendum, <laughs> but you're right, we will not have actually held it. I was just teasing, um, but it, it, it is up there. Um so in terms of parliamentary lobbying and things, Burko's been really powerful in this and took a lot of people by surprise. Have you been lobbying him at all? No. Um, he is, uh, yep, you know, he, always going to do his own thing. Um, <laughs> he doesn't have a vote, so we don't waste our time and resource lobbying him. Um, and I think similarly to the, the BBC, you'll get both Leavers and Remainers claiming that he's been useful or not useful. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, great really to have um, somebody who uh, is as uh, forthright as he is. Um, and, you know, his ruling last week, everybody was sort of thrilled and lots of Romanians got very overexcited about um, him saying that you can't keep bringing back the same motion for debate time and time again and, and cited lots of precedent from 1604 and other such uh, recent events. Yeah. Um, but of course, uh, that could similarly hurt Remainers because um, if you remember, what was the Hillary Benn Amendment became the Cooper Bowles Amendment and that got voted on twice and uh, the Tiggers had put down an amendment on a people's vote a couple of weeks ago and now Kyle Wilson's is sort of similar and so it could have hurt us if the precedent had held against us as well as in our favour. Yes. So so I think um, he's, he's been about as balanced as he could have been. In terms of um, you and, and and what Brexit means for you, is obviously you have, a, you have a, a phenomenal CV in terms of campaigns working for London First and for other people in senior But I am roles. just an accountant. <laughs> Yeah, but you're you're kind of a political accountant, so you kind of a recovering accountant. <laughs> but you, in a way, Brexit gives myself included a kind of impetus and a and a purpose in a way. I mean, politics in general would, I suppose, for both of us. But is there part of you that you know has been energised by Brexit and would be sorry to see the debate <laughs> go away in some way? Um, lots of people 
sort of say to me, oh, you know, you're working so hard and all this, how do you do it? And I say, well, I, I can only liken it to what people tell me being a new parent is like. So they say, oh, to mums, oh, just you wait. You're going you're gonna to get two hours sleep a night if you're lucky and that's on mm-hmm. a good night. And But somehow <laughs> you'll manage to... It's like that. If you'd said to me a year ago when I was still at London First and I, I hadn't sort of thrown myself full throttle back yeah. into the Brexit thing, although I did run London First's um, Remain campaign, uh, you'll be working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. You'll be getting four hours sleep a night if you're lucky, but yet you'll survive. I would have said, you are mad. You are mad. You are mad. There is no way I could do it. But when you care so much, I mean, this is so much more than Brexit. This is, a, this is a culture war and it's making sure that the far right don't win. This is about fighting for all of those values of openness, of tolerance, of inclusiveness, of progressive values. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And somehow, even when I'm on my knees with tiredness and, you know, thinking, how could I possibly go on? You, you just sort of remember all of that. And, and you think about, you know, the values of, of, of people like George Soros and why he's funding the Open Society Foundation to do the, the amazing work that they do globally because this is a global threat. It is threatening us in Hungary, it is threatening us in Italy, it is threatening us, of course, in America. And I don't want to live in, I don't want anyone else to inherit that kind of a world where the, where the right are dominant and we have to, we have to fight back against it. So at, keep, the next ele- at the next election, um, which part are you going to stand for? I'm not. I did stand in 2010 as a paper candidate for the Liberal Democrats, so pre-coalition. I was, a, I was not very comfortable with coalition at all. Um, as if you ever interview Nick Clegg, he'll probably tell you. Um, uh, and I, I stood because I knew I couldn't win and it would be yeah. a really, really good fun thing to do at that time. I have far more influence, I think, now um, and, and certainly through a lot of the policy work that I was doing before um, Brexit than I ever would as a kind of backbench third or fourth party MP. Um, so I, I, I don't think I'll ever stand for public office. But do you think... Although we might have Euro elections in a couple of weeks, Simon. Everyone will be scrabbling for candidates, so I might, <laughs> might have to don a better written badge and off I go, Rosette. I, I think one of the positive legacies of this whole experience, regardless of whether we stay, leave or whatever, is that it has awakened in a lot of people a, a, a politicisation. It's forced people to forge their politics in adversity, which is always the best environment to do all your hard thinking and to find your passion and to find your voice. That in five, ten, maybe twenty years' time, we will have perhaps a very different parliament with people that are more animated, perhaps, and, and you know, th- th- there may well be positive implications of this because people who are around the liberal centre, however you want to call it, um, often don't have that or don't appear to have that fire in their belly, but Brexit is giving them that. Yeah, so yeah, that will be a positive, yeah, I hope perhaps. so. I hope so. Who knows? Um... I think social media is a deterrent for a lot of people and the sort of pub, the constant scrutiny over lives that that didn't exist in the yeah. in the 80s and 90s and the way it does now for for people and I think uh, you know as a society we've got to accept that these are human beings that do deserve a right to privacy and and aren't going to be perfect and are fallible but I've got huge hope in the younger generation um on that their views around you know sexuality and gender identity and it, it they're so refreshing yes <laughs> I mean, my niece you know she's sort of 13 and 
I think in her school, people are much more likely to define as pansexual. And I had to look it up. But they they would genuinely be aghast at the prospect of somebody concealing their sexuality because of wanting to stand for office and thinking it would harm yes. them in the eyes of the public. They just think it's nonsense and they they you know they all embrace it and they love the authenticity that comes with um the the transparency that that social media sort of forces people to have and adopt. So I've got great hope in that generation. Um and once they start coming through the ranks and standing for public office and all the kids out um striking on Fridays over climate change. Yes. Well they they give me a huge amount of hope. Good on them. All power to them. Yeah to an extent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've still got, still got to do your homework, haven't you? I do worry about people having a day of school. I still have, I, I think it's more that. I think you learn more in that kind of environment than you would on a Friday afternoon yeah. in school. I just was, I never skipped school. I was petrified. Really? Of not going to school, yeah. Good boy. So <laughs> Did you ever get detention? Uh, oh, yeah, I had, a, I had detentions for other things. They, they were rare, but I had detentions for other things. Yeah. Um, but certainly not, I would never dare not go. Really? God, I think I had like less than fifty percent attendance. In my You're GCSE kidding year. me! Yeah. What? Mm. Why? Didn't like it. I mean, no one really likes it. Well, some people like it, but no one like. <laughs> You're not meant to like it. Are you? It's meant to be hard work. You learn more from reading books than you do from. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Mm. Um, but still, my. I mean, I went to I certainly. Uh, well, I was at an all-girls school as well. It was shit. Oh man. In Northern Ireland. So oh my word! Okay, okay. Well, you, you did the right me. thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you were there. I mean, even if you were, was it boarding or not? No. Okay, no. so you went there at night. I was going to say, actually, even if you absconded fifty percent of the time, you'd have spent more time. Yeah, it's good. Than, than most people would have. But, um, oh man, that must have been. I mean, in in terms of your politics, there, you were Liberal Democrat in twenty ten. Um, it obviously gave you views about authority and um, mm. you know openness and all the rest of it. Did it give you a particularly left or liberal thing, or is it not really about that? Yeah, no, I would definitely describe myself as a social liberal, and I used to chair something called the Social Liberal Forum, um, which was a grassroots thing within the Liberal Democrats, but now it's sort of open to, to a wider group of people. And those are you know, people who think, yeah, broadly enterprise and business are great things, but there is a role for the state to offer a very good and yeah. robust safety net and to, to give people a bit of a leg up when they need it. So, yeah, I'm very happy with the label centre-left, but I think what's been so interesting about the pre immediately pre- and post-Brexit uh, referendum um, impact is that the electorate has recalibrated on an open-closed axis rather than a left-right one. Yes. But the political parties have stayed on a left-right axis and they haven't caught up with where the electorate is yet. Um, and that's why I think we are headed to a political realignment in the UK. I think uh, the Tiggers are the first wave of that. I think a hard Brexit decimates the Conservative Party. I think any form of Brexit breaks up the Labour Party. Yes. And so it's only a matter of time before the, the party starts to emerge on more of an open-closed axis. And I'm firmly in the open, but still happy with the centre-left. So, a, a kind of, a, you know, if there was the open party... yeah. Would you stand for Parliament then? Yeah. Oh no, no, I don't. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't. I honestly don't think I'll do but it. But the thing is, I speak to so many people on this podcast who are articulate, passionate. Mm. You know, have all the attributes required, and more, and often are better qualified than some of the people sitting in Parliament. And they're the people who don't want to stand. Mm. There'll be people listening to this, 
going mad that you don't want to stay in Parliament. <laughs> and you? Are you going to do it? Absolutely not. Well, why not? No, because I, I enjoy my life too much. <laughs> so mine's, do I. <laughs> but mine's entirely selfie. I don't mind admitting. I don't think, you know what, I don't, I'm absolutely not cut out for it. Yeah. Because I can't keep my mouth shut. I would be I would be a dreadful liability. Um, but isn't that what's, isn't that's what needed? Like the, an authentic voice that doesn't do spin and bullshit mm, and maybe. just says it like it is. But you've got to, you've got to have a bit of spin sometimes. <laughs> you know, you've got to, otherwise it's chaos. You need some you need some rules. But I just think uh, I'd be a liability to any cause. I would do more harm than good. <laughs> Daisy's nodding her head. <laughs> I'm real. At least I'm self-aware. But it's, the thing is, I think you would be a great politician. Thank you very much. So maybe at some point in the future. It's unlikely. We'll leave it at that. It's unlikely, but I will always be involved in politics because you can take yourself out of politics, but you can never take politics out of yourself. And friends of mine that have walked away from political parties or, you know, stopped doing their political blog because they just got so fed up with everything. (laughs) They're like the kid outside the sweet shop with their face plastered right up against the glass, looking in admiringly at everybody else and sort of wishing they could come back in. So I'm not going to make that mistake. No, I feel the same. Even though I'm sort of, this keeps me involved. I don't have the same level of involvement that I had when I worked for Labour. Mm-hmm. I do miss knowing what's, you know, more yeah. almost. Are, campaigns are a bit addictive. Knowing what's really going on, you know, yeah. that, that was. A, yeah. And obviously, I still talk to a broad range of politicians from all parties, so you f- I still find stuff out. But when you're working for a party, particularly when you're in government, you know everything that's going on. It's brilliant. <laughs> so I miss that. Maybe it's just the gossip I miss. Um, Naomi, I've kept you for far too long. Um, And I mean that in the sense that I've wasted too much of your time, not not, because this could go on forever. It's been a real pleasure having you in today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming on. Good luck with everything. And who knows, at some point in the future, there might be students listening to this for an early interview with Prime Minister Smith (laughs) to find out why she became a Brexiteer in later life and totally reneged on everything. Naomi, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Cheers. There you go, Naomi Smith from Best of Britain and the Romaniacs podcast. Uh, first and foremost, I should say thank you to uh, the very many of you who've come to see me on the Brexit Through the Gift Shop tour. It's been the most enjoyable tour I've ever done. Uh, I will be very sad when it comes to an end, but of course there will be future tours. But it has been such a great experience. It's been the most enjoyable tour I've ever done uh, and just wonderful to be able to add dates. I've had an extra date in Salford on the 9th of May, which is selling very quickly, and another date in Camberley, on the 19th of May, which is also selling very quickly. Um, And uh, I have a few more left. I'm doing uh, London's Leicester Square Theatre on the 26th of March, which, if you're listening to this when it goes out, is next week. Um, I'm doing Bristol Hen and Chicken Studio on the 31st of March. That's all but sold out. Um, I'm doing Faversham on the 5th of April, uh, that extra Salford date on the 9th of May. Aberystwyth, my only Welsh date, on the 10th of May. And then on the 12th of May, the Edinburgh stand on the 13th of May, the Glasgow stand on the 14th of May, the Newcastle stand on the 18th of May, Chorley Little Theatre, and on the 19th of May, the Camberley Theatre. But I dare say, due to the extension of Article 50, and whatever happens after that, I will be extending the tour and be adding extra dates. So keep uh, following me on Twitter, at Matt Ford, to uh, find out those extra dates. Tickets for all the gigs are available through the website, mattford.com slash live. Um, and, of course, tickets for the political party, which sell out months in advance so do snap them up as soon as you can uh, you can get on the other palace website theotherpalace.co.uk my next guest on the political party is george osborne that'll be a live episode i'm very close to be able to confirm who i've got in april 
I can confirm who I've got in May at the live show. Ken Clark. Oh, my God. Am I excited about that? Not only because of him being a phenomenal politician um, and everything else, but a huge Forest fan. So Wednesday, the 29th of May. Um, and always check uh, the other Palace Twitter feed and always check my Twitter feed because sometimes on the day people can't go and they tweet their tickets out. And sometimes there are last-minute returns or production holds, as they're known in the industry sometimes. So you might be able to get in on the day. So always do check. But my word, George Osborne and Ken Clark. Hopefully I can announce April's um, guest very, very soon. But, oh, my word, they're very exciting. And some phenomenal weekly guests coming up as well. Um, and do email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com, uh, as many of you do. Um, and thank you for all your wonderful emails. Lucy Arnold got in touch. And said, uh, so this was on the discussion of what the independent group should call themselves. She refers to them as the notorious TIG. Gone down very well with Daisy Knight in the studio here. I love that. Um, But here we go. So this is a really good idea. Um, She said the notorious TIG should choose their name based upon this this simple game. Pick an adjective, then pick a noun. And she says, rinse and repeat, mix and match to your heart's content. So the adjectives are liberal progressive, British, new, democratic, global, independent, reformist and revisionist. And then you have your noun. Progressives, Democrats, future, independence, alliance, party, liberals. So you could have liberal progressives. You could have... Well, you couldn't have progressive progressives. That would be... um, over-egging the pudding a bit. We could have progressive independence. You could have global Democrats. You could have reformist future. You could have revisionist liberals. This is so good. And they're all the right words. So well done to uh, to Lucy Arnold. If only there was a prize. Maybe we should start doing prizes. Maybe we should get some merch done. Um, William Turrell got in touch. He said, since you started this tour, I've rather admired the sheer audacity of using Brexit through the gift shop as a show title. William, I've got to tell you, I've only got until really August to get the use out of that title because I'll have to have a new one for Edinburgh. So thank you. He says, do you think Brexit construed by a Blair would work? Or perhaps more likely when you have Tony Blair on again? I mean, that is really clever, as in exit pursued by a Blair, by a bear, is Brexit construed but I mean that's he's really done his work there so thank you very much William thank you to all of you that emailed about the tour and and tweeted about it as well every single one um is a lovely thing to receive so thank you so email the show politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com it can just be a reflection on a particular episode could be a suggestion for a guest it could be anything you like um but do get in touch they all get read and um Of course, follow me on Twitter, at Matt Ford. I shall see you next week for George Osborne Live. For now, ta-ra. This episode of The Political Party was produced by Daisy Knight.
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.